Hello and welcome once again to Crazy Comics and Stories. It's me, your charming and delightful old Uncle Rap Bastard. And at the other end of the series of tubes and wires that we call the internets is Joe, Crazy Writer. How you doing today, Joe? Corey, you ever wonder why we exist? No. I always thought it was to come up with more original questions. Well, the crickets like that one. Oh, okay. That's our job in life, to make the crickets happy. I could have told you about me during the Super Bowl eating chili and drinking blats at a Super Bowl party, but I I didn't want to, you know, get into that. So if I do have, I, I didn't know black still existed, but if it does, it's the beer whose name tells you what it does. If I uh, have to suddenly uh, run away, you'll know why. <laughs> kaboom! Yes, kaboom! This kaboom cereal. I liked it because if you ate enough of it, it'd turn your crap green. And also, there was nothing to that cereal but sugar. Actually, I believe it had as many of the dehydrated marshmallows as it had the little oat smiley faces. And those oat smiley faces were like, I I swear the coating was half sugar. But you would be wrong because really, it was one of the few cereals in the 70s that actually got a top rating by Consumer Reports. For you kiddies out there, Consumer Reports was kind of a magazine that would buy things and then rate them. So people like my folks would decide, oh, well, what kind of car should I buy or what kind of microwave should I buy? And they were pretty brutal with their stuff. I mean, they rate, they rate stuff on reliability, if it had any defects and if it, if the thing sucked, they gave it like careful, don't buy it rating. I think it was like green circle, half circle, green, half circle, red, and then totally red. And what annoyed me when I worked at Sears was people would come in and go, I want to buy this television, which is fine because they would give you the stock number and everything. But by the time consumer reports bought and rated the television, they had changed it to another model. So I'd be like, well, that one's no longer available, but this one, its predecessor is. Well, we don't want that. We want what Consumer Reports says. So people used it as their Bible. And nowadays you got Yelp reviews and you can pretty much Amazon reviews, whatever. So it's it's similar type thing, but this is actually a magazine you got mailed to you. I don't know if Consumer Reports is still a thing or not, but I believe they are. I know that for a while their website was you had to subscribe. Let me take a look real quick. While you do that, what I was talking about, Kaboom, Kaboom and Cheerios were one of the two cereals that were actually highly rated. And the reason why Kaboom got such a high rating is because they had iron in it. Hence the comment I made at the top of the show. And apparently their vitamin enrichment, whatever they stuck in it, was superior. So that was one of the only, for lack of a better word, junk cereals that my folks would let me buy. Usually we had Nabisco shredded wheat or grape nuts or 
Cheerios, like I said, this was long before Cheerios branched out in all sorts of colors and Honey Nut Cheerios and things like that. So cereal-wise, I had kind of a boring life. Consumer, I did like meal, though. Consumer Reports does still exist. Okay. Yep, it's uh, consumerreports.org. Yeah, org, org. So, and apparently it is a sign-in. Yes. So, let's see, how do you get it for free? Whatever, Good luck Google, with that. Google it, kids. It's all, it, you can get anything free. But that's not what here we're talking about. Green poop, kaboom cereal, consumer reports. We have unfinished business. We do. We does. Because I got absolutely no nasty calls from Brian saying, hey, where was my recommendation for all these toys that you guys tell me about? So we, we've got to just fig- finish up the previews thingy, then we're, we're good to go. Oh, okay. So You mean we're actually following up on something? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know we could do that. Oh, we could pretty much do what we want. It's our podcast. Well, but we do, want, we do want people to listen to us. So, well, uh, if, if you got your previews nearby, you can just flip it over to the toy section. And on the toy side of things, everything is MM thing. It's like MM thing. So, I have a couple things. Corey, you usually kind of weasel out on this. So, what, do you have any? Yeah, there's not a lot that I look at and go. You're not well, looking off, for you. There's not You're a lot that I buy. Brian. Right. Yeah, and, usually, and, and I'm not a toy guy. Well, it's not the toy guy. What you you got to think like what you did when you had your you were in your domestile domicile cube life you know when you're working at the office you, what you want to have on your shelf there to make people think oh this guy is cool or i don't think i'll talk to this guy for example i will i would point you right to page m39 there you got the texas chainsaw massacre tom and hewitt slaughter version exquisite mini 118th scale previous exclusive figure for a mere $24.99. I mean, if that doesn't get you to HR, nothing else will. <laughs> what I would actually buy, if you go to page 89, when I started playing Dungeons and Dragons, you had, this was the early 80s, you had all these other companies that would put out things that were not licensed by D&D, but you could use them for D&D. They would use kind of the same rules, and I don't know how they skirted around it, but you had companies like uh, King's Guild that would put out modules you could use for D&D. And it looks like there is a company doing that called Goodman Games. And they have a pair of, they have a, let's see, a pair of books here. Dungeon Denizens hardcover. Now, if when I played Dungeons and Dragons, one of the big problems was you only had the monster manual and everybody bought the monster manual so they knew every monster's weakness. So it's, oh, this monster is really scary unless they use an iron arrow on it. Well, everybody <laughs> read the Dungeons and Dragons 
because they bought the three books and it's like, oh, it's one of those. I used an iron arrow on it. This is uh, two different books filled with monsters. One is 600 pages. One is 480 pages. And I, if I were still gaming and I were running a game, I would buy these in a heartbeat just to sort of mix things up, change things up with Dungeons and Dragons. Joe, you read um, Knights of the Dinner Table. Every group has a Brian. Yeah. Brian is the character who is the, he's memorized all the rules and uses them in ways that his character would never be able to use. That's why I would want a book like this because there's no way he would have these books for those adventures. So that's the thing that I'm actually pointing out. And then above that, they've also got some D&D original modules, 600 pages of original modules as well, which um, it's called Original Adventures Reincarnated Dark Tower, where they use some of the stuff that D&D doesn't use anymore, update it for the new rules so that you have more adventures for your characters because that was one of the other things especially when you were just learning how to run dungeons and dragons it's like okay i'm going to use this module so that i don't have to create everything and what the characters do and what you have going into it and coming out of it is your own creation so just kind of Almost a nostalgia pop for me. Of oh look, there's some stuff. If I were playing D and D, I would probably pick up. Joe, well, see, I I'm, I like to bust Brian's wallet, so I'm going to point you to page 43 and the Johnny Lightning Pop Culture 2023 Wave. It's got cars like the Monkey Mobile, which is always a classic, the Rat Fink Dragster, the Blues Brothers car with the rough speaker. There's Richard Petty's 1972 Plymouth Roadrunner stock car. So I just, I love cars like that. I figure you need to put as many of those up as possible. On page M44, you got Killer Clowns from Outer Space Cotton Candy Cocoon Collector 12-inch plush toy. It's from Syndicate Collectibles. It's one item on the fairway menu that you should probably skip. Designed to look just like its gruesome movie, Carney Park. Only a little cuter and a little less cadaverous. It's a soft plush toy. I, I, I don't know if Brian's into soft plush toys, but I will recommend that on page M52. If he's really got a lot of money, he could get the Jumbo Spaceship Yamato Previews 43-inch figure ship from Easy Hobby. I, I had to decide if I wanted to get this or some omnibuses. Because, I mean, you're talking this thing, if I, if I remember on, is like a $400 ship. Uh, that would look very impressive on your shelf. Uh, and, of course, we, we have to, we, the other one would be on MPH 63, which would have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Blimp Deluxe Mini Mates box set. So you can actually have the blimp floating around, which is really cool. And, you know, it, it's getting harder and harder to find a pop that, you know, Brian would definitely want to cut up and on his box and play with. But it, you got to go to page M65 and find the pop 
Clerks 3 Silent Bob figure. I don't know if Jay has been released or is going to be released, but there you go. And th those are the things I would recommend that Brian take out a second mortgage and get that deluxe Yamato figure so I can see what it looks like. Okay, folks, you can put your previews away for the month. We're, we're done with it now. Before we move on, there is one other piece of business. I don't know if I ever followed up on it. I mentioned there was a comic that delved off into two different timelines. And the, the name of the series was Radiant Black from Image. And what happens is as of issue 25, the story branched into two different timelines. So you have to grab both covers to read both versions, which I thought was interesting. I don't know how Radiant Black readers feel about it. It could be annoying, but it's still kind of neat. So that's all the old business I got. Is there any, any new stuff, any new news going on? Okay, Joe. I'm just going to read the story here. Yes, yes. I bought the Taylor Swift variant covers, but they were done by Sonia Soros and Art Garcia. And I did not get the nude versions. Not that they were doing nude versions, but other people <laughs> were. Sonia, by the way, is on her website has somewhere Taylor's in wearing the Kansas City Chief outfit, <laughs> but they're directly from her. I don't think you're and these are all these are all, I believe, under the Fem Force line. I'm just Tidal Wave Production produces them. So you've been warned. Get them now before she stars in the Dazzler movie. <sighs> Once upon a time, crossovers between the heroes of the DC and Marvel universes were a semi-regular occurrence. The two titan publishers of superhero comics released a handful of crossovers between Superman and Spider-Man. Batman and the Incredible Hulk, X-Men and the New Teen Titans in the late 70s and early 80s. The 90s and early 2000s saw DC and Marvel publish a dozen crossover one-shots with multiple DC Marvel miniseries, an entire line of amalgam comics mashing up the characters of the two universes and the iconic JLA Avengers miniseries. Reprints of all of these stories have long been out of print, leaving curious fans to scour back issue boxes for the individual issues or pay a premium for the collections. That may not be the case for much longer, though. On Sunday, artist Barry Kitson, who drew Batman Punisher Lake of Fire, posted on his Facebook fan page some unused cover thumbnails for the issue and said, Marvel and DC are collaborating on reprinting many of the amalgam titles, including Magneto and the Magnetic Men, the crossover events, including the Batman Punisher books. To this end, they may have asked for any extras they can include in new versions. I don't have too many originals left, but if anyone on the group have any of the pages and are willing to share scans, please do let me know. In the meantime, one of the things I did uncover are these unused cover thumbnails for Batman Punisher. Cool. So, this is not an official announcement of anything, but he's saying that these, that one of the publishers, at least, is looking for back matter for a new collection. So, Joe, how would you want these books collected? Now, in are the you, past... Are you talking the entire plethora of DC Marvel crossovers, or are you talking just 
like amalgam. Well, I was going to say that there, there were all of these things were collected in a specific way. For one-to-one crossovers, there was the class, crossover classics for trade paperbacks. And that reprinted all of the crossovers such as... Pull them up here. Superman and Spider-Man, Batman, Punisher, Punisher, Batman, Darkseid Galactus, Spider-Man, Batman, Batman, Spider-Man, Batman, Captain America, etc., etc. Then there were trade paperbacks of Marvel versus DC. All access, unlimited access, and uh, JLA Avengers was never collected except in the did they do a paperback of that i thought they just did of uh jla avengers i thought they just did the jla avengers had two paperbacks okay the first one was a limited one i've actually got one on my ebay store came out they only published a ridiculous number and then they did the special one when george prez was towards the end of his life and they made the exact amount of copies they sold of the first one which was way under what the demand was and that is silly money on the ebays now and the absolute again yep and then there were two amalgam trade paperbacks no there were four because they were six issues each so what i'm thinking now first off if they just go back and reprint that stuff, it's been so long since it's been in print. I think they'd blow the roof off. You know, just reprint the four crossover classics, the miniseries, the amalgam uh, paperbacks, DC versus Marvel slash Marvel versus DC and JLA Avengers. Just reprint all those. They'll make a lot of money. But I, the only thing I would do with that is I would put, I, I don't know if you'll call it a who's who or a, a, what, what was Marvel's version? The, ofi- the official handbook. handbook of the Marvel yeah. Universe. Oh, Haku. Because you've got to explain to people what the Hades is going on. Yes. Why did Spider-Man during the crossover react so weird when he heard that Superboy was a clone? Because at the time, it was Ben Riley was a clone you need if you really want to make this interesting other than just a cash grab for you and i who remember these books fondly and believe me i've reread them some of them don't hold up that well you got to kind of put a here's what's happening and even when you get to the marvel dc just say here's the event that was going on you could call in and decide who won in different battles and even though there were some that were pretty big, like Superman Hulk, our old pal Nick would talking with his friends at the time said, yeah, there is no way Superman's losing, but they're going to let people vote on it anyways. So historical context could be fun. I say this because I just finished reading or I've started to read again the Justice League International Omnibus. I think I bought this one used because I told you it's been sitting on. I opened it. I started reading it and I put it on the shelf. It's warping because it's too heavy for the binding. 
and this thing is what 1500 pages so people if you've got those omnibuses and they're sitting up right in the shelf you probably want to put them on their side so they don't warp especially if you're not going to get to them for a couple of years i haven't had any problems with the ones that are still in the original shrink wrap because they're still tight so just a warning point being is there was a a write-up by one of the creators i believe the scripter because who who did who did that jmd matthias Yes, yes, thank you. And by, the reason why I'm not sure because my book's upstairs. And he wrote just what was going on because this came off the JLA Justice League of America Detroit era, which ended up fairly tragic. And they kind of refer to that in the first issue uh, when Martian Manager comes along. And this, of course, became as what Corey and I affectionately called the blah! era as they kept writing humor into it and what i didn't realize is even when keith plotted it they didn't think this was going to sell because they thought it was just going to be kind of a oh we'll see what it does but it sold and it kept selling and it caught everybody by surprise and that's the type of back background stuff you need to know what was going on in the time because First of all, you know, we've had about a dozen DC Universe reboots and characters aren't necessarily the way they are. Am I saying this right? No, characters aren't the way they were compared to the way they are now. So you need to put some of that in context and maybe also just say, yeah, in this, you know, there was a Wolverine Lobo fight that we voted on. You could call in, it was a 900 number back then. So he paid like, was it 75 cents a call? And you could vote. And we did. And again, yeah, reality, Lobo should have wiped his ass with Wolverine. But Wolverine won. And again, I'm a spoiler alert, whatever. That's the type of detail. If you're going to do it, go back and give us a little history lesson as to what's going on. For me, that works. Remember, I was on the fence about buying the Hitman Omnibus. I ordered it, mostly because there was a new opening intro by Garth Ennis. And I said, I'd love to know what he thinks about it now that we're years back. So for me, that is would be critical because I've got the paperbacks. I've got the issues. They're in the dollar bins. Well, some aren't. The Spider-Boy boy went nuts for a while. This is the first Spider-Boy. I would like to also see, I'd like to see him revisit that. But that's a different podcast, you know. Maybe maybe the people in charge now are like, yeah, you know, this could make us some money. Revisiting Amalgam, doing another crossover. And, of course, I'll give a no prize or what do we call them? Joe Price, anybody? Because I believe you and I talked about what crossovers we want to see in a previous podcast. So if you want to send us a note and say, oh, yeah, this was this podcast, we'll send you a Joe Price. And we have them. They are ready to go. We, Corey and I just got to get together and sign them. So how about you? What type of, if they were going to reprint all the, well, if they're going to reprint them, what type of things would 
you want get you to say, oh, I have to buy this now. Versus having the originals in your collection and the paperbacks in your collection and whatever in your collection. I want Omnis. Oh, you said the magic word. I would buy it in an Omni form. I want Omnis. Okay, here is. I even have the mapping in my head. So for the Marvel DC crossovers, you know how crossover classics was four trade paperbacks? Two Omnis, one put together by Marvel, one put together by DC. And probably I would have the ones that Marvel printed in one omnibus, the ones that DC printed in another omnibus, such as what happened with the first four. Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man and Batman versus the Incredible Hulk were both published by DC. Superman and Spider-Man on Candy X-Men and the New Teen Titans were both published by Marvel. After that, I would have to look, but I would have crossover classics, Marvel's crossover classics, DC's. I would throw in all the back matter and all of the introductions that you could get your hands on for those a lot like what they do for the you know the june 1964 omnis get as much historical stuff in there as you can then when you get to marvel versus dc all access and unlimited access two omnis i would have marvel versus dc and the first batch of the amalgam books in trade paperback number one. I would have all access and unlimited access and the second bunch of, of amalgam books in Omni number two. And that leaves um, JLA Avengers kind of out on its own. But what I would do with that is just, cause there's not enough in there for an Omni, Lord knows they'd try, but reissue the what is it compendium where where no the absolute reissue the absolute yeah but i'm thinking that you could put that absolute in or the compendium in the back where it says who's who on every single panel yeah which is amazing i mean it's amazing to read in and of itself but that is that is my dream collection for those books I I so I would buy that in a heartbeat. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know we would. I mean, look at it. we were geeking on not only the Rom omnibus, which I got the Micronauts. There's a Godzilla so, omnibus coming. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody asked about Shogun Warriors. It's like Shogun Warriors only lasted twelve issues. I don't think they're going to do an omnibus. No, it lasted more than that. I think it went up to about twenty, but it wasn't really. As, yeah, it wasn't as big as Micronauts. Certainly not as big as ROM. I gotta take a look because I do not remember it lasting that long. I really, really don't. Let me take a look here. And You're it right. Also, it actually, it lasted twenty issues. And it had All a cats. It had a finale in Fantastic Four. Yes, but they had to change the names. <laughs> yeah. Well, what they did is when the 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 main three people who rode the shogun warriors those were marvel creations and they went and somebody found a fourth 
Shogun that was Marvel's original destroyed the other ones, and that's what got the Fantastic Four to they had to go fight to destroy the other ones. They also and, had an Avengers story. Well, they showed up in Avengers. Yeah. And I think Let's see which Avengers issue was it? Okay, it was um Fantastic Four 226. They were then hinted at and the characters named but not the Shogun Warriors in Avengers number 300. Wow. Because Oshadu, Odashu, was hired by the Avengers as part of their support staff. Yeah. So I'm just I'm just looking on the Wikipedia what they have. And. So you might have I don't know enough to warrant an omnibus, but could be kind of fun. Do it in a epic or a collected hardcover. Yeah, something like that. There's your Monday morning wake-up call, man. Yeah. And first, it was on. It was on Bleeding Cool, and a lot of my friends who work in comics did hate Bleeding Cool because he he will sometimes go with stories that aren't double sourced. Or he'll just grab somebody's Facebook post and try and make make hay of it. But then it showed up over on The Beat. And The Beat is the closest thing we have to actual news reporting in comics anymore. And once it showed up on The Beat, it's like, okay, this this is more than just uh, somebody shit stirring. Hmm. They're, they're, they're moving forward on it. So review time. Yay. I think we have time for two reviews, Joe. All right. Well, let me look through my pile of stuff. Okay. Let Joe, whip this out. Okay. I don't get it. But if you're buying the ultimate Black Panther, the ultimate Spider-Man, the ultimate X-Men, bag them some bitches as soon as you're done because they are fucking insane on the back issue market. Which is pretty much par for the course because I remember that the ultimate, the first ultimate books went insane when they went out. Yeah. So, and there I went and I looked on eBay before the show and they're still up there. I mean, I, I did not, I ordered Ultimate Spider-Man 1. I enjoyed it. And I didn't do Black Panther, but all the shops in town and some people were bitterly complaining about it. They were, okay, limit one. Now, I don't know if the source, when I got there, they had the, the classic cover where you got Black Panther and then the white logo on the side. They also had the different variant covers, not the super insane ones. Somebody probably already bought those. I They had it limit one. I don't know if they meant one per book. I just bought the one because I wanted to read it so and I did and like anything it it starts it's an intro and for those of you who don't know what the heck the ultimate line is about they gave a very nice write-up in it I mean it's all the different ads it's a diabolical genius no as the maker 
And if I recall right, Corey, the maker was the Reed Richards from the original Ultimate Universe. Yes. Okay, so not to be confused with the maker who was in John Byrne's Alpha Flight. He, anyways, the maker who had been bopping around ever since Secret War, Jonathan Hickman's one, where he kind of smooshed the universe together and Doom took the power of the Beyonders and made a secret world with Battle World full of different universes. And when it finally came to the end, Reed Richards, with the help of the Molecule Man, restored, spent a bunch of time restoring the universes. There's a five-year gap between the end of that story and the beginning of the Marvel Universe again, and they've never revisited that. I thought they would. So anything weird that happened, happened then. But they've gone forward and they've ignored it. But the Maker, still around, he used time travel to create his ideal Earth by systematically preventing anyone from ever becoming a superhero and by establishing a secret council of supervillains that rules this world from the shadows. But recently, the Maker was locked away in a place called The City, and now the Maker's Council works to further exercise their influence on the world, including Ra and Khonsnu. Am I saying it? No, I'm not saying that right. K-H-O-N-S-H-U. Let's go Hunsu, whatever. They oversee the continent of Africa, these two. But just as the city's door closed, the doors of Wakanda, an impenetrable kingdom concealed from the rest of the world, have begun to open. It's written by Brian Hill, artist Stefano Caselli. Beautiful art. Very easy story. If, you've, if you just want to jump in on the Ultimate Universe, just like the original Ultimate Universe, you can just follow along what's going on. You recognize who's who, what the characters are. And there's a lot of turmoil around Wakanda. Villagers are being absorbed. They're being killed. The current Black Panther is not quite sure what to do about it. Everybody's, it's, it's a, very much a talking heads type setup. It works really well. And just as you think these poor villagers are going to be killed, hey, someone shows up. Killmonger and the Windrider. My brain goes, Windrider? Is that? Storm? We don't know yet because Ultimate X-Men isn't out yet. By the way, it's sold out too. It's going for silly pre-sale money. Talk to your local comic store like I'm going to do on Wednesday and just say, hey, get me these books because you're either going to do it this way or I, I don't know. People are buying these at silly money or wait for the trades or wait for Ultimate Unlimited. I, I, not Ultimate. I, I, is it on Marvel Unlimited? It will be. Okay. They wait about three to four months. Okay. So, again, you've got Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate Black Panther, Ultimate X-Men. I don't know what other Ultimates. Ultimate Invasion, I think, was the name of the story. Was that the name of the storyline that... Yes, that's what kicked off the new Ultimate Universe. Then was Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate Black Panther's the second one, and the one next month. And uh, everybody get ready, because it's going to go crazy, too. Ultimate X-Men by Peter oh, yeah. Mahoku. So, 
And second prints are going insane. The original Ultimate Invasion is going insane. I'm surprised first appearances haven't been going insane. They might be. I don't think people got around to it. I don't want to talk too much more about the Ultimates because, again, it's new. It's out there. It's brilliant. I've enjoyed Ultimate Spider-Man, which I didn't talk about. Ultimate Black Panther, which I lucked out and got a copy. And I think I'm going to be on board for the rest of it. Corey, you, what, you got anything? Have you, are you up to date on the Ultimates? What do you think about I this am, new line? I have not read them yet. Okay, but you got them, and that's the key. Because if you don't, you won't. So, <laughs> <sighs> so that, that's kind of my semi-review. Again, I don't want to get into it too much, but damn, I'm enjoying these. So, what you got up first for us, Corey? The first one I have up for us is a book from Image called Moon Man. Moon Man number one is written by Scott Miscuti and Kyle Higgins. The art is by Marco Locati. This is the story of a man who was part of a mission to the moon. It was the first private mission to the moon. And when he came back from the moon, something odd happened. We are not told what happened other than that they were out of communication with Earth for seven minutes during re-entry. And the thing is, you're not, this is a story where you're dropped in and you have to pick up the pieces as the main character is going through his return to his normal life. So as the story goes, as the story goes on, you as a reader are being brought up to speed by what's going on around him. You learn about this um, future where NASA has pretty much been shut down and it's all being done by private industry. The person who is in charge of this moonshot is unpopular. The lead character finds starts having weird things happening to him here and there, but he doesn't tell anyone about it. So you don't know what happened. You don't know what the weird things are. You're learning about him. You're learning about his family. You're learning about this world. And there are two ways this usually goes. It's either, I don't know what the hell's going on and I don't care. Or the way it is in this book, you get hooked in on your lead character and you want to know more. It's more of a mystery that a you're not explaining things to me. It is unclear if this is a miniseries or regular series. And a lot of things with image, it depends on the sales. If the sales aren't that great, it's a miniseries. If the sales are good enough for it continue, it's an ongoing. The art is not highly realistic, but you can tell the characters. It's almost cubist in a way, in that the characters are more made up of shapes than realistic drawing. And there are some people who will like that and some people who won't. I thought it worked very well for the story because it's kind of a science fiction story where you don't, need everything to be drawn Neil Adams-y detail-y. It's more about the emotion that each character is feeling. And I think that this more abstract art tells the story better because it's able to show emotion better. 
how are the characters feeling comes through in the art rather than through the dialogue. There are some things that I'm kind of confused by, such as if all of this stuff happened to this person, why is he allowed to just go home? Rather than, okay, well, we don't know everything that happened to you, so we're going to keep you here and test you to make sure that you're psychologically okay. But it's more, okay, well, I, nothing we could do here. You're on, you, you're on your own. But I think you could almost get away with that because it's a private moonshot rather than a governmental moonshot. This is one that when it was in the previews, I did not. You know, it didn't jump out at me. I didn't know who the creators were. The art, the cover, the cover is unbelievably generic. And I think that's a terrible, terrible idea. Because when you look at the cover, it's the logo takes up half the, half, well, a little, little, little over half the cover. And it's a picture of a, nondescript figure in a astronaut's outfit on the moon the cover gives you no idea of what the story is going to be like but i was actually really impressed by the story itself and i'm going to be picking it up as a trade so with the buy borrow and ignore it's a buy but again with the image books and most you know 90 percent of comics now because it's the first issue is more of a first chapter than a complete story. This is a wait for the trade paperback and buy it then. Joe? I Yeah, and of course, the ultimates for me were buy because I bought them. The next thing I want to talk about is the Knights of the Dinner Table magazine number 310. This is the first. A bold new era of greatness. This is the first of the, oh, how would you say, King size, double size, triple size. I don't know. They're big magazines. They're coming square out. Square bound. They're square. Square bound's bound a good, good word. I just enjoyed the living heck out of it. First of all, Knights of the Dinner Table. We we were talking about it earlier. It's a really weird magazine. I've been with almost since issue one. By I just remember picking it up, and it was about a bunch of guys, Knights of the Dinner Table, playing Hackmaster. Or think Dungeons and Dragons, a role-playing game, D20, whatever. You've got the different characters. We were talking about the one guy, Brian, who is the kind of the rule manipulator, the rule boss. He knows it all. You've got Bob, who kind of a uh, I don't know how to, how would you describe him? Kind of like a when he started, I think he lived with his parents, just worked menial jobs, never had done it. In the course of 310 issues, he has since moved in with a an actual woman who herself is a role player. And I'm trying to find where they are. And you've got Dave who plays one type of character. He wants a fighter with a plus 12 sword. That's all he wants to play. Nothing else. Good meaning, good natured. Then they bring in Sarah, who is the cousin of the dungeon master. And she basically 
is taken under their wing, but she does not suffer fools gladly. You make a sexist comment, she's probably going to end up pulling your shirt over your head. So she's not someone you want to mess with. That was the beginning. I, I, I don't know how many years ago that was. I remember finding the first issue at one of Greg Ketter's Dreamhaven shops in Dinkytown when it was above the drugstore that was there. It was just just like an apartment, you know, boom, open up full of books. And I was just looking through and I found one, three and five or something like that. And the so I've enjoyed this. Oh, wait a minute. I forgot about uh, the Dungeon Master. Help me, Corey. What's his name? Why is my brain farted? Oh, I can't remember his name. I can't remember his name either. Oh, man, I feel stupid. Uh, B.A., that's what they call him. And, of course, he's constantly, he spends money, he spends time, he grabs these elaborate campaigns only to have the guys turn it into a hack fest and totally obliterate everything. And if a table doesn't go, if it doesn't go their way, the players will flip the table, whatever. It's, it's amazing. The story works on three different levels. You've got this group of friends and their interaction with the dungeon master and with each other. You've got the actual game that's going on, which is a story in and of itself. And sometimes it's such an intense story. You just, you get to the end of the issue and you're like, ah, I gotta wait. Now I gotta wait two months for the next issue. And then there's the community around it. There's other people playing You've got the uh, Black Hands, which is another group. You've got the Gary Jackson, who runs the place. He's got his own group that's playing. You've got. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, people. I'm just I'm just drooling over this issue. There's the old timer who's running the, the store where everybody buys things. And of course, he has the same problem that every other person does. You know, people come in. Beep, oh, I can get this on Amazon for cheaper. Or they go across town. And you know. what I love about the issue is as you're reading through it, it starts out, you know, you get critics from the attic, which is basically kind of like the beginning of our podcast. Just Jolly Blackburn is just telling you what's going on. He does a little flashback table talk where letter pages. But because the issue is triple sized, you get triple the story. I always felt a little gypped on nights of the dinner table because as Corey and I talked about, we're, I don't play role-playing games anymore. It's, it's, they have half the issue is the story of what's going on. The other half of the issue are various articles to enhance your Hackmaster game. Or now could, you could adapt it to almost any other D2, D12 game or was a D20 game you play. Like, where did you learn that? It's uh Talking about different skills that you could take. Then you've got one who's listening in the dungeon, which talks about acoustic basics and gives you different rules, like what to do if your character is impaired, what, how you communicate your different proficiencies. Sometimes they'll actually have a dungeon laid out. In, the, in this case, you have, uh, they give you an appendix, random dungeon generated acoustic dungeon dressing so Corey, give me a number between one and 100 23 23 you rolled a 23 okay a hidden voice 
emanates from the mouth of a statue or a tube or a temple has an awe-inspiring echo sound effects. So just things that can add to the game. They also have different articles, gaming in the movies, where they take a movie, in this case, Mr. Carr and the Knights Templar, and talk about how you could adapt it to role-playing. Then there's the campaign journal where they have the rogues gallery. They used to call it the good, the bad, and the ugly. Bait and tackle, where it's like, okay, the party has gotten some recognition, success breeding contempt. Their wealth, connections, and abilities have made the other adventurers resentful. So that's the bait. Then they give you the tackle, how you can start your campaign. Deadly trapping is one of my favorite, where a guy just, they set up a different type of trap, and then they send their their hapless hero into it who ends up getting squashed or poisoned or then they, they cover older games, lost safari. There's the indie game scene. A couple, you, a couple other cartoons that they do picks for the games. And at the back, they have parting shots where if you're an artist of any renown, you could make your own, role-playing cartoon or whatever and send it in and odds are good they'll probably publish it i have all these issues i have the early issues in order back order form i have or i should say a a reprint magazine size form you can go to kenzer.com and look they have almost everything available on PDF. So if you don't want to pay two, three hundred dollars for that elusive number one, this package is fifteen ninety nine, which isn't bad for something coming out every month. They've already talked about how they didn't have any problems making the deadline. Again, for me, I read it mostly for the story, and this was a very, very satisfying chunk of story. And again, they leave it on a cliffhanger, but he's allowed to go back and cover bits that he hasn't been able to refer to for years because he's got certain amount of space to cover in the story. We're just seeing other groups. We're seeing other, other uh, events going on. I would recommend if you're a game player, role-playing game, or you just like any of that dynamics, Knights of the Dinner Table is probably the longest running comic slash magazine like this. And now that it, yeah, you might say, well, $15.99 is a little steep. There's always ways to get it cheaper. And you could actually subscribe if you want. I just picked mine up either at the source or through our, our discount comic book service. It's a new beginning, a new era. It's if you don't always start. Here's your jumping on point. This is it. Go pick up this one. Give it a shot. Give it a see what you think. I hardly recommend it. This is one of those magazines. It's coming in the future. I always tease that I'm retiring. Eventually, it's going to be where I won't be able to buy the comics I'm buying now because I don't have a job. I, you know, I'm always going to be doing stuff on eBay. That's not it. But, you know, again, I have a salary coming in every other week. I have money I can buy. But when I retire, I'll be more on a fixed income. And I'll probably won't be buying as many comics, which is fine. 
you know, Corey will say, well, what's your new joke? Well, you know, I read this uh, Captain Marvel 1 from 1943. I, you mind if I cover that? <laughs> so, and again, you know, I've got so much stuff to read. I've got so much things to to pick up. I haven't even touched on digital comics because I'm that close to jumping on Marvel Unlimited. And Corey's got a wealth of digital things. Knights of the Dinner Table is a magazine I will always buy until I die. It's that damn good. I enjoy it that thoroughly. I feel when I go into this magazine that I'm visiting friends, that I'm playing the game with them. I'm swept away with not only their personal dynamics, I'm swept away with the gaming dynamics and the story of the game. And I just, I've raved and raved about this before, but this was my chance to rave on it now because this is their new format and it's just something that I've enjoyed, and I, for me, it's a great bang for the buck. Corey, what you got? What you got for us next? The last book we will be reviewing is a Sandman Universe book, Joe. Oh, I like those. John Constantine Hellblazer, Dead in America. Is this the new one? Yes. This is written by Simon Spurrier, drawn by Aaron Campbell. This is not the John Constantine in the DC universe. This is the John Constantine in the Sandman universe. So it's uh, gorier. There's nudity, uh, swearing. (laughs) And the good thing is, after an opening sequence, we get a two-page spread, which has the creator's but also has an introduction to what's going on with this John Constantine. And it's one of those things where I don't mind if you have two versions of a character, as long as you are very clear in the book itself where it lands. One of the problems I've had with DC, and it's starting to happen with Marvel, is, okay, we've got other universes we're doing stories in, but they don't say at the beginning, oh, by the way, this is Earth 52, or this is Earth 12, or for Marvel, you know, this is not the Marvel universe, this is a alternate universe. So that as somebody who reads a lot of comics, you get really confused. But this one, a nice introduction, written in the voice of John Constantine, we are in the Vertigo universe and the story is that john constantine is looking to fix a problem he created and as happened in the vertigo books things go wrong and the thing that i like about this story is that for Kind of the first time in a long time. Constantine doesn't have all the answers. He doesn't know what's what's going on. And there are other characters in the book that know more than him. So he is our introduction kind of to what's going on in the quote Vertigo universe, unquote. It introduces new characters. The art is very 90s vertigo it's uh the art is pretty dark the coloring is more naturalistic than 
than um, comic booky in that whatever the light source is, that light source is what is used for all color gradations. The opening sequence, Constantine is at a magic pool that was the Fountain of Youth discovered by Ponce de Leon. It's the only light source. So on those pages, all the color is that color. Or there's another sequence where he's meeting a very powerful, endless type being. And all of the color is based on that being's kind of glowing. You, you, um, I was not expecting a lot of the characters that I saw in this. There are Vertigo characters. This really feels like it's part of a Sandman universe. And much like Moon Man, I don't know everything that's going on, which fits because Constantine doesn't know everything that's going on. He thinks he's doing something simple, but as he keeps going on, he finds out it's deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. It also very much is the Constantine character that we got from Alan Moore, who puts up a good front and has a plan, but knows his plan is always going to go sideways. So this very it really feels like early vertigo here. Simon Spurrier is fantastic at capturing that feel. There are rumors out there that DC is going to bring vertigo back. Yay. If they do, this is one of the books that shows why vertigo still could work and why vertigo matters. This gets a buy. It is a mini series, so it's going to be a trade paperback when it's all done. But in a way, this story is done. Most books that are done where they know they're going to collect it afterward, you can see, oh, this is a first chapter. This really feels like a first issue of a comic. And you don't want the surprises spoiled because they really, you get that, oh, wow, I can't believe they brought that character in. Oh, wow, I can't believe they did that. This is a lot of fun. And the best thing about it is it's an introduction to John Constantine. You don't need to have ever read any Constantine comics. You don't need to have ever read any Vertigo comics in order to get that sort of, oh, my gosh, this is a much bigger deal than it seems pop. Very impressed with this book. Uh, It was in a way, it was like going home again. I give this a buy, and it's recommended. You know who else is recommended, Joe? Who, who, who? These guys, our sponsors. Our newest sponsor is NordVPN. Let's be honest, if you're out on the internet, you need a VPN to protect you. There's all sorts of things going on on the internet where people can track you, you could accidentally download a keylogger, all sorts of things. NordVPN 
gives the best security possible. It has a password manager, which generates complex passwords, syncs across all your devices, stores your notes and credit card information. It also gives you 10 gigabytes of private cloud storage, um, secure files that backs up your data automatically. But the main thing it gives you is peace of mind. It gives you peace of mind when you're... Um, out on the internet, when you're streaming, when you're playing games, when you're listening to podcasts like this one. It gives you safety anywhere at any time. It protects your online activity. You get full access to all content. And if you use the link, go.nordvpn.net sh3ku, it'll take you to where you can get a great deal for a one-month plan, a two-year plan, a one-year plan, they are our newest sponsor. We're happy to have them. And if you would like to sponsor something here at any of the podcasts on the Solitaire Rose Network, you can. Just email me, network at gmail.com. Thanks. And Joe says he has not had time to read an old comic yet. Nope. Nope. I'll talk about it when I get to geeking or freaking. So I have a book that I read that uh, is going to be my retro review, and that is The Nam Number One, which came out in 1986. I want to talk a little about the series before I review the first issue. The Nam was a Marvel series. Now Marvel since they became Marvel, had not really done a serious war comic. They The only war comic they really had were Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos and books along that same line where it was, let's take the Marvel formula and put it in... We're going to take the Marvel formula, we're going to do it in a war comic rather than this is a serious war comic. Like they had they had done serious war comics in the 50s. But even then, after a while, it became very much a, well, it's a comic book, it's superhero. It, 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 we're going to do a war comic about this character who's always able to beat the Nazis up. The Nam was written by, pulling it up here, written by Doug Murray, and the first issue was drawn by Michael Golden which was kind of strange because Michael Golden had not really done a regular series in forever and ever and ever. The idea of the NAM was that they were going to kind of present a history of the Vietnam War. Each book would cover one month in the Vietnam War. Now that fell apart around issue 40 because Marvel changed editorial um the original editor was no longer with the book and it was well we just need to make it an adventure book so they handed it over to chuck dixon and it became a america is so great we're gonna we're gonna cover up all of the bad things about vietnam and just make it an action adventure book but this first issue Early in 1966, this is about a soldier who has finished basic training. He is our window into this world. It shows him saying goodbye to his family, going to Vietnam, 
And instantly, Doug Murray, who was a veteran and fought in the Vietnam War, tells us why this war is a little different. When our soldier is, you know, first in front of, when our soldier first gets there, he's asked about his assignment. He doesn't know. He's assigned to one of the front-facing groups because he didn't bribe the the assigning sergeant. And we we see that you know World War II was very much a America's right all the way. In this first issue of the NOM, we see that there's corruption involved, that there's not a lot of discipline involved, that this is not a rah-rah America. This is more, hey, this is what it was like. We're introduced to our characters that he's going to be with in his troop. We go through a sequence where his second day, they have to go out and find the enemy in this this area and it goes into how dangerous it was the things that the older soldiers had learned dealing with this non-traditional battleground area such as you're going into villages you're not okay we're going to meet on the on the field of battle it's more this war is taking place inside villages inside farmland nothing is as America had been trained for in the past. The art by Michael Golden, and it's inked by Armando Gill, is almost cartoony in a way, and in a, and that really helps the story in that it exaggerates the characters. It exaggerates their emotions, it exaggerates their reactions, but it also puts a little bit of distance between you and the, in some ways, very horrific things that are going on. The, he's also able to, the firefights are very chaotic, which is what the, what the writer wanted. Because when he was in Vietnam, he talked often about how you didn't know what was going on. You didn't know where the enemy was coming from. You just knew that there were explosions and gunfire. And you would count on the people around you to tell you where to fire. And you don't know if you were firing at the enemy or not, because it was that fog and chaos of war. And Golden is able to really bring that into his art. There's a reason why when you listen to the image guys and the artists from the late 80s and 90s, they talk about how they loved Art Adams. Then you listen to Art Adams and he constantly praises Michael Golden. Michael Golden was an artist's artist. And when you read this book, you see why. It also, believe it or not, is code approved. And going back on it now, it's hard to imagine any other artist being able to get away with the stuff Golden did because of the cartoony nature of his art, because of how he stages the battle scenes, the choices he makes as an artist. If this were drawn in a more realistic way, the comics code would have said, absolutely not, you're not able to publish this. I remember when this came out and I'm not a war comic person, 
But Marvel did a really good job of saying, this is not your war comic. This is not Sergeant Fury. This isn't Captain Savage. This isn't even Sergeant Rock or the Losers or anything like that. This is a very realistic look at this war. So that when it came out, I honestly don't know how it sold, but I remember it was a big deal when it came out, and it was one of Marvel's best books. It's a shame that Doug Murray left and the book fell apart, because I think if it would have continued for the entire run that they had in their head, it would be something that would be very fondly remembered, rather than something that's kind of become a footnote. And I think the main reason it became a footnote is because around issue 40, they had those Punisher stories. Yeah. And then it became, okay, raw, raw America, we're going to kill, we're going to kill commies. And I remember at the time reading those books, and I'd like Chuck Dixon from Airboy and some other stuff. But it's like, wow, this book took a huge nosedive in quality. It lost all of the ambiguity. It lost all of the character stuff. It lost all of the sort of the feeling of explaining to you why Vietnam occurred the way it did into, you know, we could have won this war if they would have let us. And it's far more complicated than that. So I give the NOM issue one, and really up to when Doug Burry left, the series is a must read, but this is very much a buy. And now it's time for Joe's favorite part of the show. Oh, you talk where we actually got some uh, email. Well, I was actually going to say it's freaking and geeking, but we got email. We did. Uh, Travis sent us a note for, for us. He said, hey, Dang, and this was actually sent back into January. I said, dang, sorry about the health problems. Glad you guys are back on the air. Looking forward to the next one. I don't do a lot of traveling outside my range for work, but when I do go to Boston this year, I hope to blow some time and not too much money at comic shops like Gray did in Reno. Thanks for the shows. And I'm very proud of him. He didn't make me chuck up by mentioning anything about Deathmate. <laughs> No, but we do have some one of our fans online that I swear is posting death hate stuff every week. Yeah, I'll talk to <laughs> I will have words with the. All right. But now it's time for Freaking a Geeky. Joe, what are you freaking on? All right. Speaking of health, uh, Corey, remember how I said next week I might be out getting my tooth extracted? Yes. Forget about it. I got to push it forward a week. Mostly because the people who are going to help me get from the dental surgery place home aren't available that day. So tomorrow I'm going to call. So plan for the 26th. Well, we'll see. If, I, if I'm if i conscious, it could be fun. Otherwise, it could be unpacking a lot. Or not. We'll figure it out. So you get it. You get me next week. You lucky guy. I'm trying to get used to the new normal. My dad's still in rehab. So I've been getting up every morning. I usually bring him a couple papers. Probably start bringing him coffee because he hates the coffee that's there. <laughs> you know, I, I tried to bring him some candy and everybody, oh, don't bring him candy. Okay, I didn't bring candy. Hey, where's the candy? 
Uh, you told me not to bring it. Bring the candy. You're not supposed to bring candy. You just told me 24 hours ago. You know, because eat the candy in. You know, and I, I brought him some of those, I would tell you call them like muscle drink, protein drinks. I found some that were low carb because well, he's 87. He's got to watch his blood sugar. It'll spike real fast, especially when you're not able to move and burn off the extra blood sugar. But he doesn't like to necessarily like the taste of those low sugar ones. So I'll just lie to him and say, hey, no, these are just normal ones. You know, just drink them. You'll enjoy them. So health-wise, that's about it. Not really freaking on anything else. Uh, how about you, Corey? What what got you freaking? I don't know if this is a freaking or just an annoyance. I've started watching football about four years ago, and I enjoy watching football. Now, I don't watch it the way other people do. I don't have a favorite team. I'm usually not able to watch it when it's on. Like right now, I'm about three weeks behind, and I'm okay with that. It's like any other TV show to me. The Super Bowl is the biggest rating, the the most watched show of the year. Matter of fact, I'm going to actually take a look and see if they've released the number of viewers. But there's a reason why the NFL makes ginormous amounts of money when they... Um, renegotiate their contract and that is because it's the only thing left on tv that gets 20 30 thousand viewers i'm sorry 20 to 30 million viewers for a regular game um let's see there we go tv ratings for sunday up they don't have super bowl ratings on this site yet so i will go super bowl ratings 2024 they have not released the numbers yet, Secret which is weird. No, they're just running a day behind. Normally they have, but normally it sets the record for the most, most viewers in the year. And because of that, everyone seems to find something to nitpick and complain about. People complain that, oh, they, they they sang a song I don't like before the game. I don't like the halftime entertainment. There's, they're showing too much Taylor Swift. Oh, huh? I hate both of these teams. Why are they, this announcer's not any good. Oh, it's the number one rated TV show of the year. First off, I said yesterday to all the people who go out of their way to talk about how they don't watch it. I don't give a damn what you don't like <laughs> or what you're not going to do. Tell me what you like. I'm not watching the Super Bowl tonight. I'm not a football fan. Instead, I am. And there was one person online who wrote this wonderful thing, Roberta Gregory, who does Bitchy Bitch. Instead of complaining about the Super Bowl, she talked about how she went to see Swan Lake. And it, she talked about how it's her favorite ballet, why ballet is important to her, and that her and her life partner, who passed away about a year ago, would go to see Swan Lake every time it was performed. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful post. If you don't like something, you don't need to tell everybody that you're not watching it. I don't watch the Grammys. Do I spend the whole night hate 
hate posting about the Grammys. No, I ignore them. I am not watching the Super Bowl. Wonderful. Bully for you. We, should we give you a cookie? Mmm, cookies. I couldn't watch the Super Bowl last night because I worked at the group home till seven. When am I going to watch it? I was going to watch it next weekend, but no, next weekend, Joe's dragging me to Wisconsin, yep. and then I work at the group home all day Sunday. Wow, wow, wow. So I'll probably watch it the weekend after that. But By that time, the next Super Bowl will be on. Actually, I came very close to watching last year's Super Bowl <laughs> after this one. I finally watched it like a month ago. Because it was one of those where, okay, I'll watch it later. I'll watch it later. I'll watch it later. Oh, look, it's at the very bottom of my queue of my DVR. If I don't watch it now, it's going to get a race. So, <laughs> and I like the fact that they make it a big deal. The NFL puts on a great TV show. There's pomp and circumstance and the crowd is, it's not. I've watched some sport events where you could tell that it's just, I'm here because I want to be here. But no, at the Super Bowl, everybody loves the game. So the crowd is really into it. And I'm sorry, when the crowd is really into something, it makes it a lot better. I don't know jack or shit about European soccer, but boy, we put those games on for one of the clients at the group home who'll watch anything sports related. They're fun to watch because the crowd is all over. They're chanting, they're singing, they're cheering, they're doing this stuff. And them having fun makes the show fun. Same with the Super Bowl. It made the show fun. Now, I will say that I'm very upset about the Puppy Bowl because I bet on Team Fluffy and Team Rough won. I got, you've, you've never gotten the Puppy Bowl right. No, I always screw it up. Joe, what are you geeking on? Well, I did get to watch the Super Bowl, and I was actually quite pleased with it because, mostly because it was slow at work at the time, and we were able to catch it. It was kind of funny watching the different feeds because one guy was watching on his laptop, one guy was using Paramount Plus, one guy was using NFL app, and as we were watching it, different things would happen. Like we would be ahead, and then another person who was Monday morning quarterbacking to her soul's content. Why did they do this? Why did they do that? I was like, oh, my gosh, just enjoy the game. Um, I think she was pro swift, you know, because <laughs> that's all I could say. Uh, but they ended up getting the game a false 30, the ending of the game, 30 seconds before we did. And they're like, oh, I can't believe they won. And we're like, oh, we went over, we looked and go, come on, let's go back to our thing and we'll watch as it unfolds, you know. Again, I didn't have anything in, in it because of the Vikings ain't playing. It's just a game. It's the only shared multimedia experience anybody has anymore. Yeah. So just enjoy it for what it is. Oh, by the way, everybody I heard bitching about Usher's show was white. <laughs> um, the, the best comments I had were from the Jason show. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, the, the host, Jason Matheson, is gay, and then he has a, a young, about 10 years younger. She's about 33, I think. Uh, and she, they were showing Usher in his underwear ad, and they were both going, oh, let's go back to that. Oh, <laughs> so 
So I have no, I think he took his shirt off. I don't know. I just, I wasn't paying attention. I mentioned the Jason show because it's one of my favorite local shows. The guy's a geek like us. And he also, you can go to the show and sit in the audience, which I find eminently fascinating. It's free, which is even better. He airs in different markets. I'm going to rattle these off. Minneapolis, St. Paul, Duluth, Rochester, La Crosse, Eau Claire, Chicago, Seattle, Orlando, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Madison, Sioux City. You can go to the Jason show and see which affiliate he has. And we watch him live here, which is cool. He's also on the YouTubes. Uh, why do I mention that? Well, if you go to the February 6th show, I was in the audience again. Every year I go for my birthday, COVID years notwithstanding. And this every time I go, it's always funny because I get different texts from people when I'm, they text during the show and I don't pay attention because I'm watching the show. And they're like, oh, you're in the audience again. And I'm like, wow, what a diverse amount of people that are watching the Jason show. He's sincere. He's friendly. He knows how to cut a joke. And he's a geek like us. When I first started watching him, when I was recovering from my first hip surgery, I was, you know, oh, what am I going to watch? Oh, Price is Right now. View? No, definitely not. What is this? He's reviewing the Avengers movie. Hey! So every year I go, and every year I try to find him a different gift. He absolutely loves Dallas. And I am, like, two for two in getting him things he never knew existed. The first year I got him a little tiny Ertl truck. Why Why would somebody make a line of Hot Wheel-type matchbox cars based on Dallas in the 80s? That does not seem like the type of people that would go buy a car <laughs> based on Dallas. But there you go. Uh, anyways, he had never seen these before, and he was absolutely thrilled. This year, I stumped him with a Dallas role-playing game. Oh, he, wow. Yeah, never seen it. I was shocked to find it. And he was like, you know, he's talking to his executive producer, Jeff. He goes, I just love it. People give me so many different Dallas things. I've got signed things. I've got Dallas beer. He, he, he did a wonderful story where he was doing a junket and Larry Hagman came by and took the hat off his head and put it on Jason. And then somebody else came by and said, oh, it doesn't fit too well, does it? Well, come, we'll get you one that fits and you can take it home. So to get him something like that, it's – I. It's fun to give something to somebody when they're surprised and they doesn't know it. So, and now they have what they call a birthday club. So it'll be very easy to spot me of the four people having a birthday. I'm the only bald guy. I went with two of my buds and I have a purple sash on. So Latanya YouTube, the Jason show. He does not only the full shows, but also segments. So if you just want to see, they have a wine diva. They have a, Stephanie Hansen, who does her own cookbooks and her own show. It's a lot of fun. He, he's been a in our market for quite some time. He's done the news. He's done he, – he always talks about his first on-air job for Channel 9 was, I believe, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom or something like that. You know, and he, It's funny watching him because he looks so young when he starts going. 
Uh, anyways, I don't want to rave too much about that because there's other things going on. For example, I watched on Netflix, other than watching myself on the Jason show, I watched The Greatest Night in Pop. I don't know. Corey, probably, you probably got some memories of this because I think we're both in radio. This was a behind-the-scenes documentary bringing in some of the people that were there, Lionel Richie, Cindy Lauffer. They got together to create a single that they would sell and use to help starving people in Africa. At the time, this was just a huge deal going on. We knew there was famine. We had nothing we could do about it. After the Grammys one night, all these pop stars got together and put together this amazing video, this amazing song that still is making money for hunger for against hunger in Africa right now. When it came out, I remember buying the single. I remember buying the album. And it was one of those things I think, if I recall right, it was 11 a.m. our time at the college radio station. And they, around the world, played this song all at the same time. I, the video you can go look at now, but it was written by Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie. It had 46 vocalists. I'm trying to find a list. Who, who's, who's on We Are the World? Dan Aykroyd, Harry Belafonte, Lizney Buckingham, Mario Chipanila, Johnny Cola, Sheila E., Bob Geldof, Bill Gibson, Chris Haynes, uh, Jackie Jackson, Latoya Jackson. This is just the chorus. And then everybody got this saying. There was Waylon Jennings. There was Bette Midler, John Oates, Jeffrey, uh, Billy Joel, Kenny Loggins, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen. I mean, it was just amazing. And then they they talk about how they put the song together, how quickly they had to put it together. You'd think, oh, yeah, we're going to plan this out. No, they were busting up against the wall. They went, and Lionel Richie was also hosting the Grammys that night. So not only was he doing double duty, but he was trying to do this song. They're trying to keep it secret. You know, some people understood because it's like all of a sudden, hey, all these pop stars are going to this place. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful documentary. The song is incredible. If nothing else, just to watch for you young kids, all these old singers many of them who aren't with us anymore. Tina Turner's gone. Kenny Rogers is gone. Michael Jackson is gone. Uh, Steve Perry sang on it. It's uh, Willie Nelson was there. Diana Ross. Just, it's it just so incredible that they got this together. Probably never, ever going to be done again in our lifetime. And it led to other things. What was the, what was the big one they did where they did the concerts all around the world? Live Aid. Live Aid. That was kind of the the, the uh, grandchild of We Are the World. And there was actually a British version before that, that they talked about people like Phil Collins and just an amazing. Do they amazing know it's picture. Christmas? Yes. Thank you. I was, I was looking for my notes. and But the, it's on Netflix right now. Check it out. A couple stories that I, I love from it. The first one was just how they were talking about. They put a sign up, leave your egos at the door. And it was interesting watching 
this these legitimate music stars in here because usually they're there they're surrounded by their entourage they got their yes people they got their publicists they were all left outside they couldn't get in only the stars could get in so they are there they're way out of their wheel well they're not quite sure what's going on they know this is for a good cause again i lost the note of the the gentleman who who was for usa for africa who came bob gildorf thank you memory he came over and he was telling these people what he saw over in Ethiopia, the kids starving. And that got the stars focused. There's little bits at the end. And I think it was Diana Ross who started asking for autographs on their, their chorus. And ever since everybody wanted autographs from everybody. My favorite, favorite story that I remember, you know, all these guys showed up, they got in the limo, they got out, they went in. Apparently, uh, Bruce Springsteen parked in a yellow car across the street, walked in, stayed all night because he had a chorus to sing, and then left, got in his car, drove away. And he had just come off a world, a mind-bending tour. He, he like, I think Billy Joel and other people flew in to do this. They weren't at the Grammys. That's how big this was. There's also things about, uh, Sheila E. talks about, why Prince wasn't there. And again, when the album came out, Prince gave a song. So it's just, it's a wonderful song. They have people like, why, why wasn't Madonna on it? Oh, they wanted Cindy Lauper, whatever. Check it out. It's a fun, fun show. Speaking of fun shows, I'm going to mention this quickly. We got one coming up still. I believe by the time this drops, You'll still have time to go out to the Minnesota Comic Exchange Comic Show, which will be February 24th at the Valley Creek Mall. Free admission, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. So uh, come check it out. Valley Creek Mall is 1750 Weir Drive in Woodbury. I've been to it before. I'm planning to get there early, geek around a bit, and then go home. So I think by the time this drops, you'll be able to do it. Not that I'm not buying things still. I did, I got right here. I got this huge list of comics. I'm not going to go through, but I just went bug nuts. Guy had a, a crazy sale on on comics and limited editions, and I also finally I got a Peach Momoko autograph. She was apparently Ooh. at. I know it's on Demon Days Cursed Web number one, signed by Peach at Midtown Comics. And I bought this one just because it's like, oh, I got, eventually I want to meet her and get one actually done. But that's, that's, that's not going to happen anytime soon. With all that, you think, Joe, just wh- when are you going to have time to do some geeking? Well, I, I actually did. I, I went geeking and I stopped at two places. We got a place in town called Hub Hobby, which is full of models and trains. I like trains. And all sorts of things. They have, as you hear me going into my bag, they have those aforementioned things. I mentioned the Brian, the Green Light Hollywood, the Johnny Lightning stuff. And I picked up two that I thought were kind of fun. I picked up uh, the 1949 Buick Roadmaster that you saw in Rain Man. Remember, they hopped in the car. Tom Cruise kidnapped his brother and they drove across country. Cameron sucks. And then just because I thought it was cool, I got a 1980 to Chevrolet C20 Smokey the Bear truck, because only you can prevent forest fires. 
And I got some other Hot Wheel cars and things like that, but that was fun. Last year, I think that was it. I actually stopped by Midway Books, and I was dropping off flyers for the MCBA. And Midway Books is probably the most overlooked place in the Twin Cities. It's, I believe, the oldest still-standing comic store. Nobody else. I mean, yeah, there's other. The comic college has been around a while, but they've changed locations. University and Snelling in St. Paul, they're on the corner. I used to stop there as 12 years old. I used to take the uh, bus over to Minneapolis to visit Schinders and Greg Ketter's store, I believe, the, the Complete Enchanter. And if I could, I would get off, get a transfer, go visit Midway Books. And he's got tons of comics. People are going into the basement going, I can't believe he's got these things. And again, I was running out of time, but I picked up a hardcover book, The Short and Happy Times of the Schmoo by Al Cap, with an introduction by Harlan Ellison at a pretty decent price, too. And I, again, this has the whole schmoo story, which I've, I, I must have talked about in previous podcasts. And they also had something I've got to check to see if I have yet. He had the Dark Horse Schmoo collection. From the uh, there was an actual Schmoo comic book, and I don't, I'm not gonna go look, but Dark Horse reprinted it in kind of a showcase masterpiece format. And I don't know if I have them still or if I got rid of them, but uh, he still has it. If you want it, call him up, he'll sell it to you. Save me some money because Lord knows I got, I got, I, 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 I'm running out. Oh, by the way, I'm still selling stuff on eBay, by the way. K.R.A. Wazzy. What you geeking on, Corey? I'm only going to talk about one thing, but it's one big thing. Oh, okay. Let me sit down, get my uh, mug. I'll put the mute on, and I'll let you go. The beginning of February, Tashin Books had a half-price sale. Now, I've talked previously about the complete history of EC that they published. This book is little over two feet tall, goes for $200. They've never put it on sale when they have their sale. Well, guess what? This time it was on the sale. And I snapped that some bitch up because I've never seen it. Even when they had it through Discount Comic Book Service, the discount was only 20%. So this $200 book, nope, $100. It arrived on Friday. I've talked to the past when I was at Dreamhaven. They had a copy of it, and we kind of looked through it. Now I have my own. It comes in a cardboard box that replicates the cover. The problem was <laughs> the cardboard box that it comes in, they just put, they just basically put it in a plastic bag and then put the <laughs> mailing label on it. So if anybody in my area knew, knew comics at all and would have seen that, I would not have got it when I got home because you just, oh, look, it's a the complete history of EC wrapped hey, in a plastic bag. Yep. Boy, he's a, he doesn't need that. This is load-bearing comic. <laughs> this thing is amazing. It has every cover of every EC comic in the back. 
It has scans of original art. It has scans of sketches. It has scans of the back of the art where they would do doodles. And just every piece of memorabilia that EC ever sold. It does not go into MAD, except when MAD was a comic. But it does have copies of the... They used to sell pictures of the vault keeper, the crypt keeper, the old witch back in the 50s. They were basically photos that they had retouched to make them look like the horror hosts. They have beautiful scans of those. It goes into more detail than even I've known about. And I've read everything ever printed about EC. It is beautiful. This is an amazing book. This is a book that you could lose yourself in for weeks. The big problem, it's two feet tall. It's almost as big as those monster-sized Marvel books, uh, like uh, Kirby is Fantastic. It's a little smaller than that, but not much. It is gorgeous. I don't think I've ever seen a comic history book or a comics related book that is this well done, this beautiful, this just and so well put together. The person who wrote it is Glenn Greensburg, who is a well-known EC historian. Tashin paid him to dig in and find stuff that we did not know about. So. This is the nerdiest of the nerdy, the geekiest of the geeky. I mean, this book is phenomenal. Am I recommending it? Well, if you're an EC fan, yes. But if you're not an EC fan, it's way too expensive for a casual fan. Okay? Now, the other thing that Tashin does, and again, if I had a job where I was making uh, more money than I knew how to spend... Their versions of the, they're kind of doing Marvel reprints that are around the same size that cost around two to three hundred dollars of like the first 10 issues of Spider-Man. The first 10 issues are kind of like the Marvel Masterworks, except they're much larger and more. Ah, Tashin is well known for these high end art books, stuff like the Star Trek archives. Or um, there is a Frazetta book that just came out. The Marvel reprints are these big, beautiful books. They have Fantastic Worlds of Frank Frazetta. It's another $200 book that reprints every painting with the work sketches he did. Uh, so Super Deluxe Retrospective of Frazetta's Career in Comics, Art, Illustration, and Advertised. $200, 468 pages. Only 1,000 were printed. I didn't even look to see. I know this EC book, they only printed 5,000 of them. I did not look to see the number in it. But even if it's number you know, 4,998, it's so worth it. It's Kind of like the high end of nerddom. Believe it or not, kids, you've listened to us blather on about funny books for an hour and a half. 
And as we say every week, the comic we like the least, we still like better in the comic that you like the most, Joe. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Corey, did you hear about the laborer who worked with hundreds of people under him? He mowed the lawn in a cemetery. Uh, hey, 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 that came from Jokes of the Crypt, an EC Comics 1992 joke book. So you have to laugh at that. No, I don't. Okay, go ahead. Hit my music. Well, yeah, here's the thing, Joe. When it comes to puns about Motown, I'm only going to tell two. Uh-oh. Or three. Four tops. Hit my music. Hey, hey, hey that's my line. Done, bitches!